Hello, and welcome to the Time to Zero In podcast, produced by Break, the road safety charity, and hosted by me, Joshua Harris. This is the series where we speak with experts from across the safe and healthy mobility community to zero in on the issues, trends, and innovations that can help us move towards a world where no one is killed or seriously injured on the roads, and where we can all be confident to move about in a safe and healthy way every day. A vision for the future known as Vision Zero. Today, we're going to be zeroing in on Vision Zero in practice with Stuart Reid from Transport for London. This episode is kindly sponsored by our friends at Litix, the leading provider of video telematics and fleet management solutions. At the end of today's show, I'll be speaking with Damien Penny, European Vice President, to zero in on why road safety is so important to their organisation. My guest today is Stuart Reid from Transport for London. Stuart is a transport and behaviour change expert and is responsible for the delivery of TfL's Vision Zero Action Plan, launched in 2018 with a commitment to eliminate deaths and serious injuries from London's transport network by 2041. In this episode, I'll be speaking to Stuart about how Transport for London have put Vision Zero into practice in the capital and finding out, two years into the strategy, how it's all going. Ahead of my chat with Stuart, however, let's take time for a quick primer on Vision Zero. Vision Zero stems from the belief that every road death or serious injury is preventable. A Vision Zero approach to road safety is built upon two basic facts about people. One, we make mistakes and will make mistakes when on the roads. And two, we are vulnerable to being killed or seriously injured if we're in a crash. Vision Zero recognises these facts and designs them out of the equation. Put simply, this means that the whole road environment vehicles, infrastructure, speed limits, post-crash care and road users work together as one system to minimise the chance of a crash or, if a crash does take place, to prevent death or serious injury from occurring. At Break, we believe that every road death and serious injury is a preventable tragedy. So let's take time to zero in on the solutions that can make our vision of zero a reality. So our guest for today is Stuart Reid, responsible for Vision Zero Strategy at Transport for London. Hi Stuart, good to see you. Hello Josh, nice to see you too. Now uh, listeners will have heard my brief introduction to you already, but can you perhaps give us a bit more information about yourself and I guess your background and what motivated you to pursue a career in, in transport policy? Yeah, of course. Uh, I started out being very interested in uh, sustainability and sustainable living and sustainable communities and obviously the way in which people travel is quite fundamental to sustainable lifestyles. Uh, so I started out working in the third sector promoting sustainable travel and uh, increasingly got drawn into the policy aspect of that and working with Department for Transport and uh, I wrote the uh, uh, some of the key aspects of the UK's first national cycling strategy and from there I moved into research and analysis and policy in a, in in a, you know for a range of employers and as many people who work in transport policy do I ended up in Transport for London now, as listeners from previous podcasts will know, I do like to kick off each interview with a quick fire question. So can you tell us how you made your last journey and what one thing do you think could have made it better for you from a safe and healthy mobility perspective? Well, this is going to sound like a flippant answer, uh, but my, my last journey uh, was I, made by foot. I walked and I was actually returning a rotavator that my wife had hired to the hire shop 
And the thing that would have made it better would have been if it wasn't so flipping heavy. <laughs> so it sounds like it was a pleasant journey. Otherwise, you had you had a safe safe walking route to where you were going. I had a safe walking route. It was a neighbourhood journey uh, made in a, a, a pretty much uh, zero carbon uh, manner. Fantastic. Uh, living the dream there. So today we are here to talk about how a Vision Zero approach is being rolled out in practice. Of course, this podcast is called Time to Zero In and focused on uh, the Vision Zero solutions out there. So it's great to be able to speak to someone, uh, a practitioner, as it were. So before we get into the details of the Vision Zero approach in London, can you give us a little bit more context to, to the road safety picture in London? What are the type of casualties and, and I guess the number we see on the capital's roads at present? We typically have around 4,000 deaths and serious injuries per annum in London, and the the numbers have been coming down, but obviously not coming down to uh, the, the rate that, that, that we would wish. Of the people who are killed or seriously injured on London's roads, uh, around 80% are people who are walking, cycling, or uh, riding motorcycles. So that gives you some sort of sense of the, the the total quantity and of the uh, and and of the, the the sort of modal mix obviously those those particularly people walking of course and and to a large extent people cycling are also low risk modes in terms of the risks they present to other people though so we don't just look at who is getting injured we also look at who is uh, which, which which vehicle types are uh, prominent in causing injury as well, so that's another another perspective on it. Um, but in terms of the, the the people who who are being hurt in London, eighty percent uh, are using what are sort of loosely called the vulnerable modes, uh, although it's not a term I particularly like because there's kind of sense that you know we're talking about people here, not modes of transport. We're talking about people, and even even talking numerically as we are, you know, four thousand is a, is a number. Uh, that that shouldn't be bandied around just as a number. That's four thousand instances of a a life that's changed or uh, affected. And that's definitely a perspective we'd we'd share here at Break. So in 2018, the mayor launched his transport strategy for London, which included the commitment to Vision Zero and a, and a Vision Zero action plan. In fact, within that strategy, can you give us an indication of of what prompted London to decide to to introduce a Vision Zero approach? Well, I think there's two things really. Firstly. Vision Zero is the right thing to do. I think as a as a society, we've been lulled into the idea that road collisions are inevitable, that they're just a thing that happens, and that nobody involved uh, can do anything about them. And that's just not true. Um, and you know, we were talking a moment ago about the numbers of people whose lives are affected. Uh, this is this is a public health issue, and it's one that we should do something about. So, you know, first and foremost, Vision Zero is something that a responsible organisation should grasp and should sort of reach for. I think the other strand of it is that we have uh, a vision for the way London should be as a city, for the way. Uh, it should operate for the kind of life it should offer to its inhabitants and its citizens. And a lot of that's about enabling people to travel in ways which are health-giving, you know, active travel, walking and cycling, uh, ways which are low or zero carbon, ways which are not don't pollute the air, and so on and so forth. So there's a whole range of public health, environmental, social issues for which walking and cycling is quite a significant part of the answer. 
and we know that one of the things that uh, we need to do if we're going to make walking and cycling an attractive option for people and all of our research is that people would like to walk and cycle more one of the things that puts them off is road risk so we absolutely need to address the risks which are acting as barriers to people's mobility acting as barriers to people's ability to access the things they want to acting as barriers to independence for children and so on so there's a whole nexus of issues which all kind of hang together and and make vision zero the policy choice that it was right for london to make again i think that's something which we really recognize at break the the safety and healthy mobility agenda almost coalescing for us anyway in recent years especially if we want to get to you know our goal as well which is which is zero you're only going to get that with sort of that modal shift in there encouraging more people into those uh, walking and cycling modes and making it safer for them so that's great to see that being obviously replicated with with what you guys are doing the transport for london now the vision zero action plan itself obviously it's a, a very comprehensive document and i would encourage anyone who's interested to go have a read it's it's a really fantastic document and really quite leading i think in in the sort of road safety and healthy mobility space but can you give perhaps uh, the people who are listening a, a brief overview if possible of what london's vision zero approach is and, and how it is being implemented yeah absolutely so our approach is based on the principle that we have to reduce risk to the vulnerable and moreover that people are not perfect and will make mistakes. So whereas in the past road safety approaches may have been based perhaps a little bit more around trying to make people behave in ways which are optimal in terms of the way the system is designed, the Vision Zero approach is to say actually People, people can't be perfected. They're, they're human. They are flawed in all their, you know, glorious, um, uh, glorious humanity. And therefore, those who control the system need to adapt the system to humans, not to try and adapt humans to the system. So that leads us then to say, right, we need to look at the system within which people are attempting to travel, you know, within which they're operating. And we have adopted, and, and I, I should stress, we haven't originated a lot of this stuff we've learned a lot from other other nations other cities and so on in putting this together but we've adopted an approach uh which is you know dubbed safe systems to say well how what are the components then of a system in which one can travel safely uh and still be human and the the pillars of um the safe system are are basically uh, safe speeds that motorized vehicles should be traveling at a speed that's appropriate to interaction with humans in the city um, secondly safe streets the layout the design of our streets should support people's ability to travel safely uh, safe behaviors because you know we know in london for example around uh, over nine, well, 94 percent or thereabouts of the collisions in which someone is injured has a those collisions have a behavioural route. Somebody has made a judgment or a misjudgment or done something. So we need to look at the, uh, we need to attempt to influence the, the behaviour of people using the streets. And the final component of the safe system, the final pillar, is uh, safe vehicles. We need to be looking at the types of vehicle that are on our streets, uh, the quantities of vehicles on our streets, and ensure that those vehicles which need to be used in our streets are as safe as possible in their design and they protect the occupants of the vehicle and they protect the people outside the vehicle and all of that is underpinned by a commitment to 
uh, to learning and continuous improvement and sort of understanding how to continuously sharpen the policy and sharpen the implementation plan. And so looking at just one of those areas, safe speeds, how is London implementing that approach into, into policy? Um, are there speed limit changes or what is the approach when it comes to speed in London that you're undertaking as part of the, the Vision Zero plan? So again, no, nothing is simple and there are, there are multiple strands to it. Um, London has seen, much of it led by uh, some of the progressive boroughs, um, has seen an increasing number of streets brought down to 20 mile an hour limits. Uh, I should ex- explain to your listeners that the, the roads in London are primarily controlled by the boroughs in sort of terms of quantity. Um, so there are 33 London boroughs, each of which is the highway authority, is the legal authority for the, the roads within that borough. And then Transport for London operates the uh, strategic roads within London, so which, which account for just under 5% of the total uh, mileage of roads in London, but obviously carry uh, around a much higher proportion of traffic, around 30% of the traffic. So many of the boroughs have led the way with 20 mile an hour speed limits. Um, we are now starting to, in you know, targeted locations, low reduce speed limits on the strategic road network as well. So we um, reduced the limit on all of our roads within the congestion charging zone to 20 miles an hour uh, earlier this year. Um, and we have a, a, a targeted program of reducing limits elsewhere on the strategic road network as well. But of course, it's not just a case of lowering the limit. We also uh, are heavily involved in the enforcement of speed limits. Um, all of the safety cameras in London are uh, operated and managed by Transport for London. We have a very close working relationship with the Metropolitan Police and the City of London Police, who are enforcing um, in other ways. And of course, we uh, we also through the sort of behavioural strand of work, we we are you know marketing and campaigning to get that message across that that that, that speed is a critical source of risk for other people, and and actually quite interestingly, you know the the research that we did, which fed into some of that campaigning, found that a lot of people are concerned about the speed that their friends and family drive at. They're concerned to be sitting in that car with somebody who's not got their full full mind on the job and perhaps is uh, accelerating or braking braking too sharply and so on. So, you know, there's quite a lot of work we're trying to do in that in that area to to get that message across to people that speeding is not 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 socially acceptable uh, and it's not acceptable to the people. You know, not not just in an abstract sense. It's not acceptable to your children. It's not acceptable to your partner. The people who are who are seeing you do it are um, affected by it as well. It's great to see that holistic approach to it being taken. I suppose that is the safe systems approach and a shameless plug coming here. A previous episode we had was on enforcing the rules of the road with Dr. Helen Wells. So I'd encourage anyone who's interested in enforcement to listen to that episode. Some really great insights about yeah how enforcement plays a crucial role in, in making our roads safer for everyone. Now, within the, the Vision Zero Action Plan, uh, there's a, a commitment or a target. I suppose you can tell me whether it's a target or a commitment to uh, eliminating deaths and serious injuries from London's roads by 2041. How did TfL come to choose the target of, of 2041? Well, firstly, the target has to be zero, of course. 
2041 is the horizon of the mayor's transport strategy. So a number of our commitments in that strategy are are all focused towards 2041 because that's a, that's a sort of time horizon which is realistic to achieve. You know, the, the mayor's transport strategy is a pretty ambitious document and so it wouldn't be credible to sort of assume it was all going to be done in you know in, in sort of two years or three years and so on uh, but it's but it's important that we the target we give ourselves is time bounded otherwise vision zero is always at risk of becoming a kind of um a kind of an aspiration that doesn't have a kind of burning platform so 2041 is a sort of pra- practical target really and I think again, that's something that that break recognises. We're we're calling for for central government to to introduce uh, road safety targets after they were abolished back in 2010. I think it's a real catalyst for for road safety improvement. Having that ambitious and robust target, obviously of zero, as we touched upon earlier, I think that's the the moral approach to take. But that can also force policy change and force investment if people need to to commit to that. So again, that's certainly something we'd we'd advocate. Earlier on, we touched upon the uh, connection of safe mobility with healthy mobility. And I, and I know that's very much part of London's Vision Zero Action Plan. Um, can you talk a bit more perhaps about London's healthy streets approach and how that's baked into the Vision Zero plan and what that means in practice? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the healthy streets approach is basically the principle that streets should support healthy activity, they should be healthy places, they should, they should be inclusive places, they should be places that support the life of the city. Um, and, you know, you know it, it's been said before, but it bears repeating that a high proportion of London's public space is streets. So the, the streets where people live, the streets where they go to work, where they travel, where they shop, what, you know, what, 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 the places where they live their lives, the quality of those streets and the environment they offer up will have a huge influence on the experience of living in the city um, and of the the ability of people to, to live the lives they want. So healthy streets is about saying streets must be must fulfil a range of functions. They must be they must be pleasant, they must be inclusive, they must enable sustainable travel, and they must be safe. And it all hangs together, really. And so the 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 healthy streets approach is very much a key enabler to some of our ambitions for the sorts of modal choices we want people to to make and healthy streets is all about making sure that the the streets are pleasant that the cycling infrastructure is there that they 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 feel good places to inhabit Um, and safety is one of the critical components there and it's always baked into the design of any um, street improvement scheme that we bring forward or that is work is delivered by the boroughs on on their streets. Now, as as we touched upon earlier on, Vision Zero has been around for a, a long time now. London, as you say, is standing on the shoulders of others who've introduced this in the past. What learnings did you take from from um, other people's approach to Vision Zero? Are there any particular regions or cities where London uh, used as an example and, and built upon their approach? So we took the principle that it's possible to pitch for zero, and that's that's not a not a ridiculous thing to aim for. Uh, we took the experience of other cities uh, like New York and so on, all of whom have been incredibly generous and helpful with their time and their learnings. And then you take those inputs and you adapt them to the specific circumstances of London, because every city is unique. London's unique. All cities are unique. And so we need to to then adapt that and understand how to apply it in our own particular context. 
So to go back to, to London's approach and uh, I guess the targets and, and the implementation thus far, what do you foresee as being perhaps the biggest challenges to achieving those targets we discussed earlier um, in the plan of, of eliminating death and serious injuries from the roads by 2041? I think there are, there, there are, there are many challenges, of course. I think the some, some of the main ones are the underlying culture of road use in the UK in which if you were asking somebody to sort of drive a car in a kind of factory you would regard that you know you would regard that as operating heavy machinery and you would put in place all sorts of protections to ensure that that is that that is is done safely and is just done safely for those around that that bit of machinery whereas we've in the UK we sort of normalize this idea that well, you know, it's something. It, it's quite a casual thing to do. It's not something where you you bear a heavy responsibility. And so, when you look at the way people drive, people do feel it's okay to um, it's okay to kind of you know tune the radio whilst driving or carry out a mobile phone call or or, or do, do these things which are distracting. So, I think that sort of uh, that underlying culture of what it is to be a road user and the sort of rights and obligations that you have to other road users is a is is a really fundamental thing that that we need to try and address i think the other thing is that we've we've made a lot of progress in road safety over the years and that means that to an extent a number of things have to go wrong for there to be a collision where somebody is injured Somebody has to behave in a certain way. Somebody else has to be there. You know, there's, there's, this, there's this notion in um, road safety or safety more generally of the sort of Swiss cheese model of safety. You know, a number of the holes have to line up in these slices of the Swiss cheese for an event to happen. And, and that means that it's not always easy to predict where the most risky locations are. We talked at the start of this podcast about every um, every every injury, every every collision has a human cost. What we don't want to do is be in a position where we're treating the citizens of the city as sort of sensors and saying, "Oh well, somebody got hit. Right, we'll go and fix there." We want to kind of get ahead of that and be preemptive and predictive, but that presents technical challenges in its own right so i think i think you know there's a lot of roads in london there's a lot of activity there's somewhere in the region of 29 to 30 million trips per day made in london that is a lot of activity incidents where someone uh, where a person is injured are mercifully you know in that context few um, which which makes it challenging for us to kind of predict where they are likely to happen to get ahead of that and to 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 address those things before it before it's ever happened. So I think there's a whole series of challenges in in that. We recognise both of those. The the point around public attitudes. I think it's great to see TfL taking on board some of the the points around language and how language can be used to the detriment of road safety. The the, the phrase using crash not accident, and it's really about changing that public mindset that driving on the roads there is a responsibility towards that. Breaking the law on the roads is the same as breaking the law elsewhere. But I think we've got a still got a long way to to go there. The second point around data and the use of data, I think, is a, a really fundamental one as well. At break where we're pushing central government to move towards a, a collision investigation branch for roads similar to what they've got in uh, rail aviation and maritime and i think having that data and using data analysis properly on, on road safety is a real crucial crucial step i think in in getting towards zero and that leads me to ask um is there anything 
that perhaps from a central government perspective, which you are reliant upon um, to achieve the vision of zero, obviously TfL operates within the UK's policy guidelines. Is there anything you're working on with central government to improve road safety, which will then help in the capital? Well, I think there's a number of things that uh, we, we'd like to to see, and some of those things are are, are are certainly happening. So government is currently consulting on a revision to the highway code. Uh, which addresses some of these points of culture that, uh, that that we're touching on a moment ago. I think we would like to see uh, more rigorous testing uh, for, for for some um, licensing. Some of the things that we've brought forward in London, like the direct vision standard, uh, have been because we recognise that specific types of vehicle are uh, particularly risky. Um, but more generally, I think we've seen over the last few years that vehicle technology can be very effectively deployed to make the roads safer. And though the standards for vehicle technology are, are owned by, by government, not, not by us, so we'd really like to see government action to require the highest possible standards for vehicle safety technology. And, and much of the focus of vehicle safety uh, technology in the past has been on protecting the vehicle occupant. Um, increasingly now the technology is coming into the, the mainstream of things like uh, intelligent speed assistance, um, uh, impact protection for people outside the vehicle and we'd really like to see government action to to stimulate the, the, the vehicle market to, 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 to bring those technologies in much more rapidly. I think the example they gave of direct vision standards, another great example where, where London has tried to lead the way on road safety, but our listeners perhaps might not know the details of that. Are you able to just give them an overview of, of what the direct vision standard is and again, how London has implemented it and, and helped helped it be try and be implemented elsewhere as well? Yeah, of course. So, so the direct vision standard is partly a response to the analysis that showed that heavy goods vehicles operating in the city were significantly overrepresented in uh, particularly the most serious and fatal injuries involving vulnerable road users. And what the analysis revealed was that in many instances it was because those vehicles have blind spots, because often they're designed, uh, they're not designed to operate in dense urban environments. So the driver is high up. Often those vehicles uh, don't have underrun protection and so on and so forth. And they have significant blind spots. So the driver literally can't see what's going on around them. And if you put that into the context of a, a complicated urban environment with lots of vulnerable people moving about, that's quite an unacceptable risk. So we we have seen, and we continue to see, very nasty incidents where left-turning vehicles come into conflict with cyclists, or uh, and, and actually one, one that, that happens quite commonly in very low-speed environments where people are trying to cross the road in front of these vehicles in stationary traffic, uh, not realising that they're crossing uh, in a place that the driver can't see them. Um, and then if the traffic starts to move, then that, that person is very much at risk. So the direct vision standard, again, is I don't think a controversial proposition, which is that if you're driving a vehicle, a heavy goods vehicle in London, you should be able to see what's going on around you. And the direct vision standard sets out an objective method of measuring the ability of a driver to see what's going on around them uh, and a star rating system and we are bringing in a uh, requirement from uh, next year we will be enforcing the requirement that if you have a zero star rated HGV then you shouldn't bring it into our city Uh, and if it's absolutely essential to bring it into the city for some reason then you have to have a whole bunch of secondary 
safety uh, measures in order to receive a permit to bring into the city. And over time, we will be gradually tightening those requirements uh, because a heavy vehicle from which the driver cannot see a pedestrian really has no place in London. Now we're we're two years into the Mayor's Transport Strategy and the Vision Zero plan we've been talking about during this podcast. I guess I'd be interested to know how it's going thus far and what impact do you think COVID-19 is going to have on, on road safety in London in both the, the short and long term and how potentially that will impact the, the implementation of the strategy? The last two years we've been focusing on implementing the, the, the action plan and have made quite a lot of progress in implementing that. We've just published the data for 2019. Uh, So that's the sort of final authorised statistical return to the Department for Transport. And that data shows that the deaths and serious injuries in London have been reduced by uh, just over 39% since the baseline years that we're using to measure against, which is 2005 to 2009. So that's great. That's a good uh, reduction. That's that's a whole load of people walking around who were not involved in a death, you know, in a collision, uh, uh, um, and we'll never know that they weren't in, involved in that collision. But you know, that have been protected uh, for, for, from that event. But it's not yet far enough, and I think it's fair to say that uh, there is further to go, and we absolutely have to double down on our commitment to Vision Zero. And, and maintain that focus. And in terms of how COVID has affected things, it's it's been, I, I mean, it, was, it would be premature, I think, to say we were out of the COVID era. So I can only, I can only really say, say, say what it's done so far. But we've seen a significant reduction in incidents involving pedestrians, which is great. Um, we have seen a reduction in serious injuries involving motorcyclists but we have I'm very sorry to say seen a slight increase in the number of motorcyclists being killed in London. One of the things we've done as part of COVID is recognising that there have been some quite profound changes to the um, travel patterns of people so it doesn't make entire sense to talk about uh, safety in absolute terms so we've started to look at it in terms of rates um, and the the numbers of injuries per million journeys, and so what we've seen is that the in the in the early period of COVID, the sort of April May during the height of the lockdown, we saw the numbers of casualties reduce quite substantially. But we saw we actually saw the casualty rates increase, uh, and that seemed to be linked to an increase in vehicle speeds in the city, as some people took advantage of the. Uh, quieter roads to um, to drive uh, faster, uh, sometimes um, extremely fast. So we saw those rates go up. Since the end of the lockdown, we've seen those rates nudging back down again, but travel patterns still remain disrupted. And so you know we're seeing we're seeing. I still think we're seeing patterns of travel yet to settle in London. And where where's it going to go? Well, if we end up with the sort of just green recovery that we that, that, that we hope for you know a lot of the work we've been doing around street space and uh, which like like many of the cities uh, in the UK we have been 
um, reallocating space for walking and cycling in order to enable people to socially distance and to travel sustainably as part of the COVID recovery. So we've been doing quite a lot of work quite rapidly and a lot of the boroughs have been doing a lot of work very rapidly to create those opportunities for people to to walk and cycle. And the, the, the ambition is that as we come out of COVID, those, those sort of measures we can learn from, we can look at how we might roll them out further and we hope uh, that, that we're able, therefore as a consequence, to reduce risk by reducing the number of number of vehicles on the roads and give more people that opportunity to travel in ways which are not threatening to other people. Yeah, I think hearing what London has been doing during COVID to improve access, travel access for people walking and cycling has been really positive. And we hope, you know, this is not going to be for the whole country an opportunity missed where during lockdown, there were so many more people walking and cycling um, on the roads. And we really hope that, you know, central government grants that opportunity and make sure that that can continue into the future. Because as we've discussed earlier today, that modal shift of getting people out of cars and into more active modes is really fundamental. To, to getting to where we want to get to on, on road safety, which is which is Vision Zero. So thank you very much for your time today, Stuart. That's been really, really helpful and real insightful about uh, London's approach to, to Vision Zero. And we really do support the work that's going on in London and think it is an exemplar which other, other cities around the world and cities and across the UK should follow. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Josh. It's been a pleasure. So I'm joined today by Damien Penny, European Vice President at Lytics. Thanks for joining me, Damien. Well, thanks for having me. So as I said, you're European Vice President at Lytics. So can you tell our listeners why are Lytics so passionate about road safety? Well, Lytics have been around for over 20 years and originally our founder was involved in a a road incident. And it was at that point thought, how do I prevent these incidents from happening again in the future? And ever since then, the focus of our business has been all around safety and, and more focused on the safety of the driver um, and making sure we get them home safe at night. In fact, our, our, our dream, and it's very similar to the, the brakes, uh, Vision Zero, is, is that no commercial driver will ever be the cause of a collision. And so everything we do is focused around the driver and focused around the safety of the driver. Can you give uh, me and our listeners uh, a quick overview of, of the kind of work that Lytics do? Yeah, sure. So I'll give you an answer in two parts, really. I mean, basically what we do, uh, we take video and data that comes from a vehicle to help improve safety, the efficiency of the vehicle and productivity of the company. We work with all types of fleets. We've got about 4,000 fleets and we work with them and we collect a lot of data from them to help them improve the solution so they can be more effective uh, and more accurate. But fundamentally, what we do is all about safety and it's all about saving lives. And we've been doing this for 20 years. And the core of our business is about how do we get the drivers back home safe every evening? And everything we do is focused around that. Well, that's fantastic. And we're thrilled to be working with you because that chimes so perfectly well with the the values of us uh, here at Break. Thank you very much for your time today, Damien, and for your support of Break in this podcast. No, thank you, Josh.